This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Up podcast. And in the beginning of this episode, I recorded the giveaway the bow giveaway. So that all panned out really well. Everything is explained in that part. So here you go. All right, everybody getting ready to do our drawn for our bow. Just hang out here for a minute. Let some people, uh, get jumped on here. Keep mixing up my bowl of nice and evenly cut pieces of paper. Got everybody on here. I checked uh, the uh, my email. Got everything on there. One note to uh, self: don't do. Um, I'll figure out a way to do this another day because uh, uh, the uh, putting out my personal email, which I, I'm not big enough. I don't really care, but. Um, with that, suddenly I got a whole bunch of spam emails. So I think I'm going to go through my Instagram account and see what uh, are fake accounts and get rid of those. So that needs to go away. But anyway, I want to thank all of you. Looks like these names look for very familiar, your handles anyway, to your name as well. Um, but I double-checked, triple-checked all of my emails and everything to make sure everybody uh, that had donated is in this bucket. And then I also went and, um, tracked it every time it came through, I went and added it to a list. So there's a nice little bowl of names right in there. But big thank you to all of you that have donated to this. I really, really appreciate it. And it worked out really well. I want you to know where your money's going. Uh, this bow cost me, uh, I got half price on it a few years ago. 550 bucks is what I think I, yep, is what I paid for this. Again, it's a Hoyt Axius. Um, 
my piece of paper right here with the dimensions. I've said it a thousand times on the podcast as to what it is. Hoyt Axius, 28 to 30 inch draw, 60 to 70 pound bow. It's a right hand bow in Kuyu camo. But if you don't fit that size, then it's no big deal. Just take that thing into bow shop. This is the one you're getting. It's the only one I got. I don't have the power to trade that in. So, uh, but take that into your bow shop. If you need a little different size, it's too big to uh, get some different cams for it. And, uh, you're coming away with a, a new bow. So that that's, uh, going to ship out. So 550 bucks for that bow. And then, uh, it cost me $600 a year for my waypoint subscription. And there's been some really good things coming out of that. So I appreciate all of you that, uh, um, we've got those increased costs. So for, for donating to get those, those increased costs taken care of, we've got, uh, um, some new connections that I've been making and it's just slowly starting. So we've got 55 entries in the bucket here for the bow. And, uh, so with 55 entries that covers almost exactly the $600 plus the 550, um, plus probably pretty close to the, uh, not quite the shipping of that, but whatever. I got it. It's no big deal. That covers, covers, uh, pretty much everything. So I would say, uh, all of your money is going to a perfect, perfect, uh, uh, coverage of what I needed and, uh, didn't want any more. Um, it's the perfect amount. So I appreciate you all, but let's get rolling. Cause you guys just want to know if you want a bow. So, and gals. So I am totally doing this like anybody in the 21st century would do. And I've got one right here. So Brian, buddy, there you go. I got your bow and, uh, he's local here, so I don't have to ship that, but there you go, Mr. Brian. I've got your bow and uh, we'll get you uh, shipped off, actually hand delivered, uh, but uh, that's a guy that needs a new bow. So that's going to go to a good home and that should fit him, I believe. So again, thank you guys so much for the, the support of the podcast. Again, I've been sick and I recorded one the other night and I was coughing and hacking. So I've got a lot of editing to do there, um, but it'll be... Uh, <laughs> It'll be a good one. Uh, the The audio needs some some work because I got a soft spoken guest, but a really well spoken guest. So, uh, big uh, congrats to Brian again. If you just tuned in, Brian is our winner for the new bow, and uh, we'll get that off to him. So thanks so much, and uh, we'll see uh, all of you guys next time. Sorry, everyone, for the delay in these episodes, but. Uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks trying to get over a sinus infection and been uh, super coffee and not able to to record anything or even have the energy to do it. So um, getting caught up, got some good episodes lined out, need to get a few more guests, uh, but got some got some good ones, I believe, in here in the, the near future. So enjoy. And now on to the rest of the episode. I apologize for some of the audio. Did my best with editing this as best I could. Uh, Hero's a little bit of a, a quiet talker, and then sometimes just over the phone things don't always pan out the best, but turn your volume up. Uh, I tried to not talk too loud while he was talking quiet, uh, but 
he has a lot of great insight and is a very well-spoken individual. So uh, he has some really good stuff. Here it is. Here, I want to really appreciate you uh, taking some time this evening and chatting with me on the on the podcast here. And just just if you could introduce yourself, who you are, and uh, kind of where you're at in your stage in life. Yeah. So thanks for having me on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation. And uh, so yeah, my name is Hiroto Hayashi. I'm a student at Black Hill State University in uh, Spearfish, South Dakota. I'm a traditional English major. Love stories telling stories, love writing stories, but I also love learning how to give other people their stories, you know, be able to provide experiences for people that, so then they have a story to tell. Um, and right now my story has a lot to do with hunting. Um, that's a big thing that I've kind of been chasing after for a lot of my life. So it's something that I want to get into the community that I wanted to be able to break into uh, throughout my life. So right now, it's just been a good situation, and I've been able to really pursue pursue that desire and make those stories that I wanted to make and learn a lot more about the hunting world. And you're one of the, the many uh, in demographic, meaning that you are young, you're, you're trying to figure out what you're do, doing in your life, and uh, just kind of picking up some hobbies here and there, different different things, and you've got your core... I know you have a love for the outdoors. Like that's been ingrained in you for yeah, since yeah. you were a little little guy. Uh and but the hunting really wasn't a part of it and that's a common thing in a lot of a lot of families. Especially I know you grew up in in Colorado. Um and that's such an outdoorsy state, but still only that small percentage of hunters are actually uh right. in that and I'm really curious to talk to you a little bit about bridging that gap of the outdoorsy person to being a hunter and the demographic or the, the, the character of the person, the hunter is changing a little bit. And you, you're, you always hear this term of being called a FUD, a kind of like an Elmer FUD. Uh, that's your, your hunter out running around with a gun shooting stuff. And yeah. today's hunter who is getting into hunting is not that it doesn't, it does not seem like that is the, the, um, persona that they're giving off. And I, and I don't want to say that, that people like me are fuds, but if you want to talk about a derogatory term towards, towards hunters, uh, yeah, we get called rednecks, we get called hicks, we get called fuds, we get called those sorts of things. And I don't like any of them. But that's that's the term that goes with that from someone on the outside looking in. And as you looked into the hunting community, did you see that? What was what was your take on uh, who this group is that you thought you'd want to be involved in? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so yeah, a bit about my background with my family. So I definitely that was the big thing uh, during the summer. My dad and I would uh, living on the living in the foothills of Colorado. My dad and I would head up to the hills, head up to the Rocky Mountains, and fish our favorite lakes, and do that just about every weekend. We got a chance, especially the summer months. We'd be camping out there and fishing and camping. And then, as I got older, I realized that uh, to me, as a kid, the next logical step in my definitely my passion for the outdoors was hunting. 
And that was something that I brought up with my parents. Hey, we're, we're going fishing. We're going camping. I'm going through all this uh, beautiful forest, um, seeing the deer, seeing the elk, seeing the moose of Colorado. And knowing that hunting was something I wanted to be a part of. But as a kid, you know, you don't really have the resources. So you look at your community, you look at the adults in your community, or you look at the, the kids that are older than you going hunting with their families. And so for my family, neither my father or my mother uh, hunted. However, um, kind of is usually the case. I had grandparents and aunts and uncles that hunted. And I think there was definitely some trepidation there on my, especially my parents and um, their, their willingness to be like, you know, let's, you, let's get you with an uncle and get you hunting. Because I think they had definitely more of a perspective of the derogatory hunter. Um, and a lot of the community that I grew up around, uh, their perhaps their views and their handling of firearms was a lot of times associated with alcohol consumption. And so uh, my parents didn't feel like that was a safe environment for me to go into. So as a kid, I just didn't have that opportunity. You know, I had uh, neighborhood friends and community friends that hunted and they spent their, uh, they spent their fall out in the woods uh, with their hunting cabins, their family hunting cabins, and came back and told me stories. And I think it's those stories that I really fell in love with. It's the idea of the hunt, what that hunt might be like, being in those woods at that time with a rifle in hand or a bow in hand um, and being part of the woods in that way. And so those stories really piqued my interest. So you were able and, to look past that negative, that negative yeah. association, especially because, I mean, any small town, especially in South Dakota, you see welcome hunters on outside of every liquor store. There's a, an association that hunters are coming to town, they're going to buy a bunch of beer. And it, it honestly, I think gets right. even worse in right. the South. But it's a, th- that's one of those correlations. And, and if you're able to see past that, and, and I guess you answered my question before I even asked it, though, is what, what allows you to see past that? But stories. I guess is what you're hearing. Yeah. Story for sure. And that's, that's really what it came down to because as I started hearing those stories um, and hearing about uh, why people hunted, what they went out and experienced, that's I think really when I wanted that story, because I knew that if I was out hunting, then the derogatory terms or the negative stories or the negative stereotypes that I heard, that wouldn't be me. Right, I would be out there making my story, uh, making it different, writing it differently, experiencing it differently. And I knew I could do that because from these stories that I heard, hunting is so uh, specific. It's so personal to each person. Uh, that's something I really noticed talking with elk hunters, talking with waterfowl hunters, talking with grouse hunters, uh, talking with pheasant hunters. There's so many different kinds of hunters in Colorado. And I felt like I could find my place among them that I didn't have to be a a stereotype and I didn't have to present myself as a stereotype. I could hunt in the way that I wanted to for the reasons that I wanted to. I had that freedom. And once I made that connection that, you know, hunting is you creating your own story. Hunting is you becoming the hunter you want to be. That really inspired me. And so I think that's um, where I'm at now is trying to figure out 
what kind of hunter do I want to be? What kind of role do I want to have in this hunting mm. community? Yeah, and that's uh, that's going to take you some time, honestly, I, I, which is no big deal. Uh, it's nothing that it's not like it's a career. Your other decision you got to figure out like now, so you can pay some bills as you graduate right. college and have to join the join the real world. Okay, so very very mature of you to have have that that desire to look past all of the negative and figure out how to write your own narrative. It sounds like what you want to do. Um, what, what in that yeah, for sure. uh, is appealing to you when you envision hero 10, 15 years down the road, what, what appeals to you? Yeah. Um, let's see. So I think a big portion of it for me, um, is the, the relationship with my food um, and the closeness with the elemental aspects of the natural world that I think we, we have the luxury that's also a detriment to us to be able to ignore. Right? So when the majority of people, they go into a grocery store and they're looking for meat, that's what they're looking for. And say this, say this person walked into a grocery store and they're looking at their chicken breast and they're looking at their pork looking at their ground and all they see is the recognizable food in the form that they're looking for. They see the ground beef. They see the steak. But they get to look past the process, the steps that it took to get there. Um, and that's a luxury that we have at the stage that we're at in the world is people don't have to understand where their food comes from. And to me, that's detrimental because to have that closeness with your food system, to have that closeness with the animal you're eating, gives you a really, really profound respect um, for the work that goes into it, for the people that do that work, and, and for the animal that. And I think I learned that from fishing, right? And taking these beautiful, like, perfect rainbow trout from these mountain streams and then taking them home and eating them. Um, a big part of it for me is, yeah, that closeness to the food system um, and also the difficulty. You know, there's there's definitely great um, pride, um, pride as well as just this uh, feeling of closeness when you eat something that you know you went out and you harvested and you brought it home and made a meal out of it. Um, there's a self reliance there that's really attractive. To me. So walk uh, walk us through some of those thoughts and things you had um, in the process of of hunting. When we went, I know that you were bound and determined. I want to be an archery hunter. This is what I want to do. I really want to chase this this deer yeah. with my bow, and I think you might have went out a couple times. And um, but I said, hey, let's let's go carry a rifle and let's go f- fill your freezer first, and then and then let's uh, let's let's learn these steps and then be like me, or I haven't filled my bow tag either. So. Uh, that's totally normal. And that's what I was fearful of is like, I don't want you to miss out on the the rest of the steps because that's, that's a big learning part of it. And an intimidation piece of you got a big animal down on the ground and I don't know what to do with this thing now. Uh, So I really wanted to say, okay, let's, let's go rifle and walk me through now that you've had time to process all that, walk me through kind of your, your thoughts as to, uh, diving into archery and then us going rifle hunting and leading up to the hunt. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think the allure for me for 
specifically bow hunting, um, and why I went into it, as I think partially due to my age, for sure. I think there's a, some naivety here, some idealism there that I'm idealizing uh, what it would be like to be a bow hunter over a rifle hunter, right? Or um, idealizing some aspects of the the hunter and the hunting life. Um, but I think for me, so I grew up uh, practicing a Japanese martial art called judo. And judo uh, translates directly to gentle way. That do is the way. And the idea of the gentle way, judo is um, basically the, the motto. There are a series of throws, um, chokes, uh, arm bars, these different techniques that you're using. And in order to execute that effectively with that minimum amount of effort, there's a hundred different little steps that you have to be mindful of where your hand is positioned on your uh, opponent's sleeve, where their center of gravity is, where your center of gravity is. To me, when I think about the bow, it's similar to that, where there's a hundred little tiny steps and things that you have to be aware of and things that you have to practice down to just pure muscle memory to be effective. Um, so there's, there's kind of a, a, um, almost like a martial arts practice uh, within, um, within the bow that I saw, that I experienced. And so when I started actually learning to shoot a uh, compound bow and I was learning about the proper anchor, you know, back tension, um, proper grip on the, on the bow, right? Making sure that you're anchoring at the same point every time, making sure you're following through, um, you know, making sure you're not, taking that pin and putting it right on the spot where you want to shoot and then you're trying to hold it there. Cause that's not going to help. Right. There's like a, there's like a, a flow you have to get into. You have to hit this point where everything's in alignment. And I liked that idea with a bow. Um, and then that also then tied in with the hunting, right? You are going out and walking through the hills, walking through the forest and you start getting tired. And when you start getting tired, that's when your form gets sloppy. That's when that technique gets sloppy. And so you practice and practice and practice to the point where that muscle memory is ingrained. And that definitely was, was uh, something that I really looked forward to is practicing that feeling like I was developing. And then going into um, rifle hunting when you're like, well, let's, uh, let's get out, see if we can get it done with the rifle. I, in, in some ways, I guess, I think because of that idealized the rifle. I thought, well, this, I mean, the idealized view of the bow, this rifle, oh, it's going to be easier. You know, it's, some, it's somehow lesser that I'm going out with this rifle. But then when we got out there, and when I actually got range time, range time and hands on a rifle, and I learned about the way that you think about your breathing, the way that you slowly push that trigger, keep the pressure, keep the pressure, keep the pressure, and it should surprise you when it goes off. Again, I saw all those hundred little bit of things that could either go really right or could either go really wrong. Um, and then when I actually got out there and was carrying a rifle through the woods or carrying a bow through the woods, um, the thing was, either way, I was hunting. You now, the the uh, the bow and the rifle, they're just tools. And it's about the mindset when you're going out there. It's about the mindset of, all right, I'm focused and I've practiced for this. I'm ready for this. Um, so there's definitely something in there about um the challenge, the, the challenge of um, that self-challenge of getting better with the rifle the last time. And we better. failed right away. Or, or, 
We didn't. We didn't. Find, yeah, we did. Well, we found we found deer, but we just kept bumping them and and not. Nothing really worked out great. We had lots. Of, we could have shot a lot of bucks. That was would have been actually kind of easy, but mm. no no does when we actually had a just a doe tag. Yeah, right, right. And I, and I think along with that, I, I had so many realizations over the course of the hunts that we went on because I think I had so many preconceptions from the stories that I heard from hunters of how things would go. You know, I had this idealized view of the hunt. And so when I got out there, I was like, wow, yeah, it's not just, you know, oh, you, you find this animal and shoot it. Um, this, this animal is actively avoiding you, doing everything it can in its power to evade predators and in the field you're the predator and that was another mindset that i was unfamiliar with thinking about the direction the wind was flowing thinking about um like where my feet were going that i wasn't being too loud so i wasn't snapping twigs and then also trying to keep my eyes up look through the trees look for the shape of the doe look for the tail Um, all these little techniques that you only get better at as you practice um were things that I really, really enjoyed. And so I found myself, even after we'd, we'd fail, we'd go out and we'd bump a bunch of does, I found myself going, okay, you know, I learned these things. I can work on these things. I can visualize these things for next time because now I know what the reality is like. Um, and that was an awesome experience to, to fail that first time and go, yeah, this is, it's not just using the bow or using the rifle. It's, how you walk through the woods, how your eyes are trained to see through the woods. It's uh, being aware of everything that's around you. I really like that aspect of um, this is the hunter mindset. This is what it takes to be a hunter. These are the hundred little things you have to practice. Um, really loved yeah. learning what those things what, might uh, be. What's, when we were out, actually, it was day one or two, I don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, but what surprised you the most? What what did you least expect? You know, actually, um, one of the things I was surprised about was um, like how many deer we did see um, or we didn't right. see that we bumped and then saw. Um, and I think I think that's what caught me off guard the most. And I think that was one of the preconceptions I had with hunting with a rifle versus hunting with a bow is that if I have a rifle, my range increases so far that by the time I'm within range, oh, this animal knows I'm there. That wasn't the case at all. Not even close. That animal, even while I was in range, already knew I was there and was taken off. Dead sprint away from us. And that was something that I I just didn't realize. I didn't realize that. Um, In some sense, I I kind of disrespected the animal. Thinking that, oh, if I get within... 200 yards they're, have, they're gonna have no idea i'm there no if i'm if i'm if i'm anywhere in their in their uh, awareness at all they're gonna know this um, so that definitely uh surprised me just how well adapted they were to Absolutely. realize that i was there and i was a hunter. that's uh sometimes it's like they're there and you're it's like it just standing there other times they'll bolt at 500 yards and it's just kind of crazy mostly the later yeah so when uh, we found our Yordo or group of does and we were starting to put a stock on them, I know that, that uh, some of the biggest concerns I've heard from new hunters is the, I don't want to wound it. I don't want to hurt it. I, 
any we're going to hurt it, but I don't want to I don't want to yeah. let it suffer. Um and as you got ready to to make right. your shot, uh I was really impressed with your shot sequence and your cycle and you didn't just have the one track mind like I do when it's like there's a deer, I got to get it, pull the trigger. And it's a quick response sometimes and I can't slow it down, but you had a good sequence there of, I saw it. Um, I saw you do this. You, you had slowed your breathing down. You went to the trigger and then you realized you weren't ready. You almost jerked the trigger. Then you backed off and then you came back on it and, and started going through your, that shot process and got to slow your heart rate down as much as possible. Uh, and, and it made a beautiful shot. So walk me through kind of what your now that you've had a chance to to think about that that part part the actual shot and the stock. Talk me talk me through that. Uh, talking about making the making well, the shot or just every that, all of it because I remember right you saying something about like oh we got to hike up this hill and then I'm breathing heavy and then I got to shoot and and so just the whole whole thing from uh, yeah, spotting the yeah. deer to to putting a spot on stock on it. So, and being an English major that I am and working through these experiences, telling the story, um, seeing what I remember, what things stand out to me, I've, I've been working on a, a story. Oh, can I read uh, that? About this experience. And Please send that to me when re- you get done. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm working hard on it, trying to figure out exactly where my mindset was. How I was feeling, what experiences like seem to stand out to me from that. But I think um, kind of going back to that mindset that you get into of, okay, I'm hunting. I'm in the woods. Here's the hundred little things that I'm focused on while I'm walking. And then having to make the switch from those things to, okay, we're putting a stock on this animal. Here's how I have to be careful now. And then going, okay, setting this rifle down, getting settled in. Here's the shot sequence. Going uh, step by step through that. Um, I think I really realized that um, starting with the mindset of I'm going to be a bow hunter and learning about the importance of good shot sequence. um, I did a lot of just like mental practice in my head going, okay, you know, take a deep breath. On the second deep breath as you're exhaling, slowly apply that trigger pressure. I did that over and over again. Um, Because I think really what you have to do is you have to take your brain out of the, um, in in that situation, some of it has to be out of the automatic mode, out of the muscle memory mode. And I I knew I had to be, if I was going to make a good shot, I had to be really aware of every step that I was going to take. So we come up on these dough, this group of dough, group of does and got the gun in my hand and it's got the tripod clamped to it. So it's kind of awkward, kind of heavy. I haven't exactly figured out my technique for how I'm comfortable carrying rifles necessarily. Um, in that moment, I was definitely particular about my muzzle control. You were walking in front of me. So I was definitely, okay, don't point at Clint. Don't point at Clint. And trying to tell myself, okay, don't be too excited. Calm down, breathe, breathe. But yeah, like you said, we were walking up this hill and just that short little walk, uh, already my adrenaline is kicking up a little bit and we're, walk- we're making our way up this hill 
it's bringing my heart rate up a little bit with that adrenaline. Man, I remember I'm following you and just like walking in your footsteps thinking, okay, this is where I chambered around. This is where I slowly ease off that safety. And then all of a sudden I see you stop. You take a couple steps back and you point and the doe, um, the, the group of does that we were looking at was a little further than where we thought they might be. But I see them. And that moment for me, having the deer at a distance, at a, at a um, distance where I'm comfortable with taking a shot, seeing them um, not recognize that we were there, my adrenaline just shot through the roof. Um, I could feel it immediately. All of a sudden, it was just like my body automatically dumped in all this adrenaline. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. My hands are a little shaky. My breathing's a little shaky. I feel awkward. Suddenly, I feel like I don't have enough practice. I hadn't had enough practice at the ring. Um, so I settle in. I sit down. The rifle in the tripod was canted a little bit too much to the right. And getting caught up in the moment, I didn't even I didn't even register that I could have adjusted the tripod leg. So I stick my right foot under the right tripod leg to level that tripod out a little bit. And I'm just caught up in the moment. And I think I, in some ways, I over-prepared for that shot sequence because at that point, all I was thinking about was get this rifle level, get into the shot sequence. Think about your breathing. And you're next to me. You're walking through the binoculars. Let me know what you're seeing from the does, which does looks like, which does looks like we can tell whether or not it has antlers. That's like, okay, got to make sure it doesn't have antlers. Got to be able to make sure of that. Because that was a new experience. And so it was just these like new experiences, new ideas, moment by moment, as we're sitting down, um, ready to take a shot, a uh, potential shot at one of these does. And I remember you were telling me, okay, yeah, the doe on the left, um, broadside to us, take a shot if you can see the, if you can see the head. And just perfectly, right where we would see those antlers, there was a pine bow, right perfectly. So I couldn't take that shot. And then I hear you next to me, okay, doe on the right, um, stepped out from behind. She was behind this little tiny pine bush. Um, doe on the right, she's broadside. If you have a, if you're comfortable, if you have a shot, you can take it. He's over that a little bit. And I see the doe. And this is the first time that I have a doe in the crosshairs of a rifle. And didn't even think it was possible, but my adrenaline kicks up even more. And I'm shaking. Uh, And I'm looking at this doe. And I see, nope, no antlers. And she looks healthy. Um, And prior to this point, Growing up with my father driving through Colorado, um, driving through South Dakota, deer I'd always seen at a distance or through binoculars. And I've always been really fascinated with deer because their legs are so thin. And it looks like those legs would just snap. And yet somehow they're out in these, uh, in the black or out in the prairies, surviving. And it was just this like really surreal moment of, of respect at the same time knowing I'm going to take a shot at this dope. But I don't have time to process that. So I sit down, I have the day in the process, and I chamber that round, put my finger on the trigger, get the crosshairs centered, and 
right as I sit down, I start that first breath in and out. Second breath, I'm drawing that breath out. And right as it gets to the end, it's almost like I hear it in my head, pull a trigger, pull a trigger. And I jump, my whole body just flinches. And uh, scope goes scope goes haywire. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I have this intense moment of doubt where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I need, I think I need more practice. And that's when I think that side of me that was like, you can do this. This is, this is what you've been focused on. This is what you've been mentally trained for. You can't do a thing for that. So I settle back into the shot sequence. I take that full first breath. Settle the crosshairs over the dough. Take that second full breath. Start letting out. Start uh, slowly applying that trigger. And I think a lot of this comes from the practice with the bow, um, with a compound bow, and you showing me that uh, trigger punch. Right, punching that trigger can send that uh, send that arrow way off from what you're aiming at. If you have just that slow squeeze, that slow squeeze, and it surprises you, that seems to be uh, you know that helps that consistency. So I'm. I've got that in the back of my mind, my mind, just like the bow. Slow squeeze, slow squeeze, slow squeeze. Gun totally catches me by surprise. Totally catches me by surprise. Goes off. I jerk my head up and I look and I see the, see the deer take off. And I hear you next to me just go, you hit it, I heard the thump. And I remember I look up at you and go, did I? And there's that little moment of doubting it. Oh, if that was a good shot, I shouldn't be doubting it. I shouldn't be asking, did I? make a good shot I should be confident in that shot and so I think at that moment I was like man did I did I make a good shot was that clean did I jump again um and so I think right after right after uh that happened you had asked me um did the shot feel good are you confident in that shot and I had told you yeah but inside I was going oh man I, I don't know because I think that second that that shot Prior to that shot, I had flinched. And then when I actually took the shot, the shot totally caught me back to that. And just having that being a new experience and having that, am I going to injure this animal? Am I going to totally miss? Uh, what is going to happen? Um, in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so that's when, yeah, that's when we started walking. You said you heard the thumb. Uh, so I hit the animal. So at that point, really, in my head, I was like, man, it felt good, but I flinched, but I don't exactly know. So I think there was a lot of trepidation. And there really can be a lot of the time. Like, I didn't see exactly where your bullet impacted. So, and hearing a thump is is not much different, chest cavity versus guts. And, and so I didn't know. I really didn't know. And I got a little nervous too, just mm. like you did, because she ran. But later, like we found out, it was a heart shot, and a lot of the deer that we, we've we seen go down this year, they don't go down right away when they're shot in the heart. They they tack off and run for like 50, 75 yards. So, we, yeah, continue. Yeah, so those steps happen. And then as we're walking up to the spot, don't keep your eyes off the tree where we flash out of there. But sometimes when you're walking up, you get distracted. It's really important to go to that first spot. So I am like locked in the tree. And all of that adrenaline, all of that um, focus that I had built up after that shot was just like obliterated. After the shot, all I could do was focus on that tree. And I think it was 
in, in some senses, it was kind of like um, after all that super intense focus and all of the hunting experiences and the range time I had built up for this moment. And as soon as I reached that, I went, oh my gosh, now what? From here on out, I know every single step I take is going to be absolutely good. So I'm just looking at that tree um, in some ways, overwhelmed, overwhelmed, um, actually having a shot on an animal and having that question in my, in my mind, did I take a good shot? Is this animal going to suffer because of me? So I've just got that tree locked in and I'm walking over, walking over. And I'm locked into that tree. And I'm not looking at the ground at all. I am locked into that tree. And you get a little ways from the tree and here you go. There's blood. There's blood. And kind of point off to my right side. And sure enough, from that tree, the doe had run towards us and swept around a little bit up the hill. Um, so I get distracted. Oh, my gosh. Blood. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Got to do this, like, textbook what can we learn from the blood right at the start of this tree, right where we last saw the doe stand? And so you and I walk over there, we take a look, uh, smell the blood, and you're pointing out, you see, uh, I remember you said, you see, you're seeing meat in it. So it's possible that uh, the shot was mostly meat, uh, mostly muscle somewhere. And I'm thinking, okay, I caught her lower, I caught her high, I caught her far back. Um, I just injured this deer. But you did mention how um, it did look like the blood might have been spurting, and it was a consistent line. And what was really uh, unique about that experience is because the fresh snow had just fallen down. And so where that blood had dropped, it was just this bright red streak showing exactly where she had ran. Um, and so as we started from that first point of the trail, that was just a brand new experience for me. Okay, this blood that we're tracking right now. Again, come out of a, a bottle with, you know, red food yeah. coloring and carol syrup. This is blood. Um, I have to find this animal. I have to. And at that point, it wasn't necessarily so much of, um, I just injured this animal. Uh, man, I feel bad. It was like, okay, I hit this animal. I have to find it no matter what. So we're walking and I'm, Look, walk, we're walking, walking. You're like, yeah, follow the, follow the trail. Follow your blood. We're slowly following this trail. And then pretty quickly, I remember you just go, and your doe's right up there. And I'm thinking, yeah, that'd be great if she was right up there. Because I thought what you were saying is like, it would be great if she was right up this hill. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. You're like, no, no, no. She's up there. I'm going, what are you talking about? I'm standing there like, I don't see the doe at all. I'm following this trail of blood. And you point again, and then just take this like little half a step to the side. And there was a tree perfectly blocking my view of the doe. So I take this little half a step to the side, and I just see the doe. And that was, that was incredible. Um, because the doe was close to the location where I shot, it was like, okay, she didn't suffer as much. So I, I must have taken at least a, a decent shot here because she would have ran a lot farther. And I did so much reading and so much research research into what do you do if you gut shot an animal? What do you do? What happens? How long do you have to wait? How do you find this animal? How much of the meat is salvageable? Um, because, yeah, for me, that was a really big concern. And so when I saw that animal, um, when I saw the doe motionless, um, there was almost a sense of relief um, and also guilt. There was a lot of guilt because... 
there was relief there because I had taken a clean shot and this animal was, was, was dead in front of me. But there was guilt because this animal was dead in front of me. And what's interesting, what's really interesting about that is growing up, I had a lot of conversations with people about fishing and how I kept fish for the table and how, in my head, when you go fishing or when you go hunting, it's still an animal. And so the weight of taking that animal's life is going to be the same if it's a doe or if it's a fish. But when I walked up on that doe for the first time, I was like, this is not at all like bringing home some rainbow trout for the table. This is totally different feeling. This is a total different sense of this is my food. This is where my food is coming from. And I didn't, I was totally in shock because uh, it was almost, it was super, super surreal. It was almost like I couldn't believe the animal was there. I couldn't believe I was seeing this animal so close. Because um, honestly, up until that point, I hadn't even been that close to a deer before. So seeing her hug, her hooves and uh, feeling her, her fur, um, just that whole experience of walking up to your first uh, wild game that you've shot and killed and you've taken from the field. That was uh, totally, totally different from anything I experienced before and really humbling, really humbling. And just, I realized um, how much idealism I had built up around it. You know, oh, I'm not going to feel guilty because this is what human beings do. We hunt for, for our food. And that's just the reality of, of the world. You know? So I'm not going to feel guilty about it. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of pride. Is that the feeling that you had gotten that you'd later Um, realize what you had? Because I had asked you at that moment, like, how do you feel? Like, what's going on? And you're like, I'm not sure. I got to, I got to process that. Is that the guilt? Is that what kind of you came to? Yeah, I think, I think so. It was, it's, it's, it's guilt. Um, Like that was definitely a big part of those. I think early emotions is I was so caught off guard by, by the guilt um, and then during the gutting process, when we started working our way into that, um, the, the variety of smells, right? There was such, there was such a strange feeling of, as that sun was setting, it was getting dark. Um, my feet were freezing cold. There was soaked through my feet were freezing cold, but my hands as I was gutting out this animal were so warm because the animal was still so warm. And all these little these little moments of like, wow, I just I, I took this animal's life and now I'm gutting it out. Now I'm processing it down to food. Now it's taking on forms that I recognize in the grocery store and having actually that experience. There was definitely a lot of guilt there that I wasn't expecting. Um but because of that guilt and because I recognized that I was feeling guilt, there was also like a really, really intense um like thankfulness um, and also this, this different perspective on, on food and hunting and fishing that I hadn't had before. And I think it was partially just the reality of it. Oh, this is real. This is not something that you know, I watched a hundred YouTube videos about how to gut out a deer. And when you're doing it, when you're in the moment, it's totally different from what you imagine. It's real. It's real. It's real. You, you smell it. You feel it. Um, and then also thinking about the next steps, right? Okay, how do I butcher this deer? How do I, how, what meals am I going to make out of it? Um, there was definitely that sense of, that sense of, uh, of accomplishment, of, of pride. Um, 
But yeah, I think, yeah, I can point them straight after it happened. I was such an, I was so like in a state of shock almost. Um, and I told you this, that for new experiences that, that are pretty big, that um, hunting is something that had built up my whole life, thinking about imagining. Um, so when I had that experience and we drove home with my deer, um, trying to think about the shot and the stock and cutting the deer, taking the shot, following the, following the blood trail and yeah, trying to make sense of it all. And then stashing away going, yeah, this is something that I'm going to continue doing. Uh, but also having that guilt there that I wasn't expecting going, yeah, this is something I'm going to be continuing to do, but why? Because I, I feel bad about it. But I also feel really happy about it. Like I, I accomplished this thing. Um, yeah, there was just so many like conflicting emotions that I wasn't expecting. But I came out of it um, with the reality of what hunting is. And I came out of it with a sense of, yeah, I'm going to continue to be a hunter. And that was real for me. Because before that, um, with fishing, I had always considered myself part of the sporting. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, hunting is going to be, hunting is going to be something for me that I'm going to enjoy. But I didn't have the reality to back up that idea. Um, and then when I did, I was like, yeah, I, I'm a hunter. It feels good to be a hunter. I'm proud to be a hunter. Um, I think that was something that, some, something that I had chased for a long time, an experience that I wanted to have for a long time. And finally, fulfilling that part, uh, something that I really wanted to do in life, I think was also a really big deal for me that um, just had to settle in, wow, I'm a hunter. Now, what does that mean for me? What kind of hunter do I want to be and what kind of role? Going back to that idea, what kind of role do I want to have in this community? Uh, so if you were, came up at once. say, a 10, 11-year-old and hunting was in your family, Say you take your hunter safety at 11, 12 years old, you're going out hunting. And that was something your family had done. How do you think that experience would be different? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, definitely one for one thing. I wouldn't have had you know, the 10 years, 12 years that I did have to imagine what hunting would be like and build up all these preconceived notions and ideas and perceptions of hunting. Um, but I, I don't think myself at 11 years old going hunting, I don't think I would have appreciated the experience in the same way that I did um, when you and I went hunting and got the deer. And even just the small experiences like going to the range and shooting rifles for the first time. And um, I think I think part of that is just because it's, a, it's also an awareness of how complicated hunting is going into it, right, that growing up um, and, and learning about and reading about and hearing about all of these different sides to hunting, the reasons why people do it, um, the things that actually have to go into it. At 11 years old, I don't think I would have been able to appreciate um, the fact that it is complicated in a lot of good ways and bad, day, bad ways. Um, because at 11, while I was out fishing, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was something that I always wanted to do, but I never really asked myself, um, you know, why am I doing this or why is it significant or why do I enjoy it? I was just out fishing. And I think it would have been the same for hunting. If I was 10 or 11 years old, it wouldn't have been something that I necessarily thought about all those different whys. I would have just been hunting and I would have loved it. I, I think as a kid, I still would have really enjoyed it. Um, but 
but I think having the experience later in life um, makes me experience, makes me appreciate that first experience in a different way. Yeah, I've been trying to think too that a little bit as to how that would be different for me if I hadn't done that at twelve, and then maybe it's maybe more as an adult. So <laughs> I I, I kind of see that that exactly how you're seeing it. Um, how's your deer? Awesome. Uh, phenomenal. So I um, I brought home uh, for Thanksgiving. So I'm in spearfish right now. I went home to uh, uh, Colorado to visit my family, and I brought with me some backstrap because uh, you know first time first time uh, venison folks. I figured backstrap would be good, and then uh, I brought some burger. And so I cooked that for my family, and they were a little bit hesitant about eating that. Um, the rare side yeah. of medium rare. So it was the medium side of medium rare, and uh, it was phenomenal. Tasted delicious. Loved the burger. Loved the backstrap. Um, and what was really interesting too is sitting down and having that space from the hunting experience, and then unra- unraveling that package of this is the deer that I hunted, this is the deer that I shot, this is the deer that I broke down, and now I'm eating it. Did it taste? Um, it so tastes full, so much better. I, I bet you that tasted way better than some of that deer I gave yeah. you months ago. It was well that well that deer was really good, and I think one of the things is I just really love that. I love that. Um, so I think it'd take a lot for me to go. Yeah, I don't know if I like this venison, but uh, I, I love being able to share that with my family. And that, um, there was enough of the heart, um, and of course the uh, the uh, uh, tenderloins. Uh, the enough of the heart left over to make heart and then tenderloins to bring back. And so actually a couple nights after we hunted, I got that heart out of its plastic bag and started to process it down. And even then, while I was processing that heart, I, I, you know, I'd never handled heart before of any animal for any reason. And to take that heart out of the bag and recognize from my anatomy classes, this is the same this is a very similar structure as my own heart and cutting into that heart and cutting away the different connective tissues that are on the inside, processing that down for food, recognizing that this is the heart of my deer. Um, there was a weight there, but I wouldn't say it was guilt. No, I don't know exactly know if I could describe that feeling of processing down that heart. Um, there's a lot of excitement there, you know, knowing this is like the first meal of many that I'll be able to eat. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, it felt very full circle. I had spent so much time thinking about what it would be like to be a hunter, eating meals from the game I'd hunted. And here I am processing this heart, uh, getting this tenderloin ready for, ready for the grill. Um, that was, that was a really phenomenal feeling. I was like, okay, so now I'm a it's, it's always a, it's, it's not even an easy thing to take people out. Like it's a time commitment for people. It's you're showing them spots. You're doing this. It's a time commitment. And so for other people that want to introduce people, it's, it's that same sort of deal. Even if it's your own kids, uh, that I think some, I I've seen families yeah. that, that struggle where the dad even struggles taking the kids out because he just wants to go hunt. Um, uh, but, the uh besides some of that what are some of the barriers that you still have that uh are are going to keep you uh or they're not going to keep you 
because because you you're 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 motivated and uh, determined. Um, I, I I learned that when you were telling me about waking up oh, at yeah. three in the morning to oh, go yeah. ice fishing and then fish all day and catch nothing and then wanted to do it the next day. Yeah, yeah. So you're no, gonna do just, it. Yeah, it's these, not a these barrier. Are things that I love. Over, but what are the <laughs> barriers right now that are that are going to get in your way just a little bit to to get in the field? Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a great question. I think this probably would apply to a lot of people my age, right? So I'm 23, going through college, finishing up my degree, and I think a, a big portion of that for me is having a consistent location to uh, like process out my game in the way that I want to, um, because I love fly tying. I love fly tying. I love different kinds of uh, um, crafts. And, uh, and skills like leatherworking and canning and stuff that you get out of hunting that all, is also, to me, a part of hunting. Um, and so for me, if I'm going out and I'm going hunting, I need the space to be able to, I'm going to attack this, I'm going to attack this hide up for a while. I'm going to scrape it. If I'm living in a, if, if I'm living in a, you know, an apartment or living in the school dorms at the school, that process is going to prevent me from going hunting. Because I know that, okay, I could go hunting, but everything that comes after that shot is the real work. Um, so honestly, I think that the real work of hunting is one of the barriers for me. And it's, it's, it's a barrier for me now, right? Um, since I'm graduating and since I'm looking at different jobs, where to live, where's going to be good fishing, you know, where's going to be good hunting, uh, what are the laws and regulations in those areas? Right now, because my life is in such a state of change, um, especially like the location aspect of change, hunting is difficult because everything that comes after the shot requires you have a good space to take those next steps. Um, yeah, so for, for a, lot of, a lot of guys my age, guys and girls, people, college students, I think space. And that makes sense because you, you haven't been able to – do that at your whole residence yet, whatever that is. So you're not able to simplify that down to make it work. Yeah. And, and there's always sort of ways to make it work, but yet you're still learning. So that makes it really hard to figure out, well, how do I do this in this space that I have? Right. Uh, my college roommate didn't really appreciate mm -hmm. when I walked in and yeah. threw a, a dove and a duck next to him on a, on the futon. <laughs> and I said, I'm <laughs> Scotty, I brought home dinner. <laughs> so he uh, he did he didn't really appreciate that. And then I cooked it up yeah. with a little hot plate right there, and smoked up my little one room dorm, and yeah, I definitely <laughs> had that experience with bringing home fish, right? So I uh, I was living in the dorms and bring home a stringer full of rainbow trout, and we had a, a shared kitchen. So I'd be there, you know, dutifully gutting out and filleting my rainbow trout, and you know it was. It was 50-50 whether the folks that walked past would like take a little glance over what's that guy doing and see all these fish heads and fish guts and plastic bags <laughs> and turn green and walk a little faster the next time they pass. Or, you know, I had just as many people, which I was honestly pretty surprised about, stop and ask questions and want to watch um, and want to learn and ask questions about where they can learn. But, yeah, I ran into the same thing. Like, yeah, in a dorm room, you might have an RA that's like, listen, you can't be <laughs> gutting and slaying fish in the shared kitchen. Uh, but no, I had, I, I had cool RAs that would come and yeah. hang out. And the little difference between a little difference between a doe and a, or a deer and a full 
and a duck and some fish. Yeah, that's for sure. Or, or even, yeah, even a fish and, yeah, fish and duck for sure. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. So let's let's wrap it up. And I just wanted to to kind of get your perspective on this whole whole deal. And now that you've had time to really think and dive deep into it, and that you're working on a piece, and it, I'll tell you what, it means a big deal that I want to read that because I don't I don't like to read anything, but I do want to read your your piece uh, for sure when you're done, if I can. <laughs> but um, yeah, the I, I really appreciate oh, yeah. your time. Yeah. And if you got any uh, closing thoughts. You know, I think the big thing for hunting is uh, going back to the beginning where we started talking about the stereotypes. You know, is great thing about stereotypes is they don't have to fit you, right? So for people that are thinking about going hunting or thinking about getting into hunting, um, learn it for the reasons that you want to learn it. Do it for the reasons that you want to do it. That's going to be different for everybody. Um, you know, as different as the tools that people use to go hunting, whether it's a bow, whether it's a rifle whether it's uh, going out for, for rabbits with a slingshot. Um, hunting could be potentially for everybody, um, but you have to find your way into it. You have to figure out where your place is. And, uh, and that's part of the fun, right? So find your, find your people, find your group. I was lucky to have you, Clint, uh, someone that I felt like I was comfortable around with firearms, um, comfortable with learning from. Um, I remember some of the first times we talked, uh, I could see it that you had a real passion for it and you had a real passion for getting others into hunting too. So you would relate hunting um, in a way that, what do you want to learn? Right? What do you want to do? And be able to be able to point people in the right direction. So I feel like I definitely got really lucky there. Yeah, it's just about finding your people, finding your awesome. community and finding why you do it. Well, there's a, there's a true... Uh, Enjoying the process um, for sure writing major there for you uh, <laughs> bringing brought you know, talking about your thesis and bring it back in the conclusion so good work on that i'll tell your uh professor yeah yeah that's for sure <laughs> always well um <laughs> i'm trying not to cough my brains out anymore and i am so stuffed up i'm i'm about done so i better let you go and uh appreciate you so much and and it was an honor and a lot of fun taking you on your first hunt it was you, you, the next thing that I think you'll get to do down the road, way down the road, maybe, or maybe it's sooner than that. Cause you talked about your dad wanting to get involved. Uh, the, the re there's a reward oh, yeah. of sharing oh, yeah. this. There's a, there's a huge reward in sharing this with, with the people around you. Yeah. Uh, even if it's oh, just yeah. a buddy or, or your dad, uh, that that's a pretty rewarding thing. So. I look forward to hearing from you on uh, on that front. As a besides, you got to go fill some fill some tags and fill some bag limits. But uh, I bet you down the road you're you're teaching someone else uh, that that those skills. So I look forward to hearing that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I'll you know I'll send I'll send over that essay that I'm writing about it all. But it's it's been such an important experience for me yeah. that you know got to get those words right. That's awesome. Um, got to figure out what it means to me. So. Yeah, it meant a lot, and and this meant a lot too. Thanks for letting me uh, talk about my experience. Absolutely, that's what it's all about. And, all right, sir. Well, I'll let you go and have a good night. Yeah, you too. Thanks, and, and get well soon. Drink some tea right. or something.